Good afternoon. Welcome to Tom's World Language Cafe. Coming to you live from Fishers, Indiana. It is Tuesday, September 27th, 3.44 in the afternoon. And I'd like to welcome all of you. And we're in Fishers, Indiana. I'm in Fishers. Uh, my guest is down uh, on the south side of Indianapolis. And uh, we're going to have quite an interesting program for you. We have a great guest today. And uh, before we get to that, I would like to thank all of you for uh, listening to the show. I would invite you to subscribe to uh, Tom Alsop's World Language Cafe, the broadcast. We've been on the air now about 12 years, quite a while, and uh, doing our podcast maybe six years. And uh, the next show uh, that I'll be doing, we will do one more show in October and then in November I'm going to do a live show from the Indiana Foreign Language Teachers Association Fall Conference, so that'll be a special, special show. And uh, today I would like to uh, get started here today and tell you about our guest. And our guest is uh, a very renowned Spanish teacher in Indiana. He has taught for very many years, and uh, he's going to tell us some of the special things going on in his life right now. And there's been quite a few changes. And uh, I would like you to welcome and welcome our, our guest. And it is Tony Lagrato. And Tony is uh, originally from Indianapolis, Indiana. And he's going to tell us all about himself, his career, and his thoughts about language learning, etc. Uh, welcome, Tony. How are you? Hey, Tomas. I'm just fine. I'm enjoying this crisp fall day in October. 62 degrees outside, sunny and all is well. <laughs> so, Tony, um, can you tell the listeners a little bit about uh, your background? And, of course, La, La Grotto is uh, what, Italian, correct? Oh, yes, definitely. So, mm -hmm. can you give us a little history about your family, etc.? Yeah, of course. Uh, as Tomas mentioned, my name is Tony Lagrotto, Antonio Lagrotto. And I am, in fact, first generation, uh, born in the United States. But my dad was born in Italy. And right before World War II, uh, his family decided that Italy was not the place to try to eke out a living. And they realized that there was quite a bit of opportunity across the pond, so to speak, in the United States. So uh, my dad and his brother, and his mother came across the, the Atlantic Ocean. His father stayed home in Italy and came over a little bit later. I'm not sure exactly why that was. I guess somebody had to stay home and take care of business and take care of the farm at home. But anyway, they were in dire poverty, and there was no getting ahead uh, financially or socially or in any way, shape, or form back in the old country, as they called it. So they decided to set sail and come to the USA through Ellis Island, by the way, the famous Ellis Island. And uh, I guess, as they say, the rest is history. So there were, originally, there, there were uh, quite a few people, population-wise, from Italy, correct? In the Indianapolis area, especially mm -hmm. on the south side, right? Yes, yes, that's true. Um, if you know where Eli Lilly, the pharmaceutical company, is downtown on Southeast Street, which is a whole different Eli Lilly than it was back in the 
20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s. But anyway, that's where a lot of the Italians located, by the city market, by the farmer's market, Southeast Street. Uh, Holy Rosary Catholic Church was definitely a center of activity for Italian-Americans, and the church did all it could to help assimilate as much as possible and get the Italian-Americans oriented with uh, citizenship lessons, language lessons. Uh, some were more successful with uh, citizenship and learning the English language than others, but one thing was true. A lot of them, you know, because English was not their first language, it was just natural for them in their own little barrio, so to speak. I don't want to use the word ghetto, but it really was. It was not necessarily a bad thing, but, you know, the word ghetto in Spanish has, or in English, has very negative connotations today. But, you know, the etymology of the word ghetto is Italian. It's from jetere, and jetere means to throw, to cast, to cast aside. And, you know, we talk about all different kinds of ghettos, you know, but the Italians certainly had a ghetto that uh, just was where they lived and moved and had their being, so to speak. And it's, of course, it's dissolved now. As Italians became part of the middle class through the 70s and 80s, they moved out to the suburbs. So really the Italian enclave is probably a nicer word. But I wanted to use the word ghetto because it has, it's actually, in its origins, it's not a bad word. It just means to throw. <laughs> okay. But anyway, I suppose it is negative because it's the idea of being cast away. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh-huh. That's, that's great. Now, can you tell the listeners as well about uh, your teaching career and also about your wife, uh, Louisa, and what uh, she did as well? Oh, certainly. My, uh, well, my teaching career I, I spans, depending on how you count the semesters and the years, uh, 40 years. And I first began teaching on the west side of town in a little Catholic school called Cardinal Ritter. We didn't call it Cardinal Ritter in those days. We just called it Ritter. But it was a really cute little place to work. And it was one of the early uh, integrated, you know, naturally integrated Catholic schools uh, in the city of Indianapolis. As a matter of fact, Elmer Ritter, who became Cardinal Ritter, was the bishop, archbishop of Indianapolis who insisted on desegregating the Catholic schools. So he's definitely noted for that. And even to this day, on the west side of town, on 30th Street, Cardinal Ritter is one of the most, if not the most, of the integrated, desegregated, multicultural uh, Catholic, uh, Catholic schools in town. That and Cecina. But anyway, uh, then I went and worked. Uh, I left there and went to live in Spain for a couple of years as both a student and a teacher. I came back in 85 and found a job where I went to high school at Perry Meridian. And that was a success, but um, I left the classroom to go work for the State Department of Education for a while. And that was a good job, but I realized that I missed actually being in the classroom and interacting with students. And so I went back and found a job in Lawrence Township at Belzer Middle School, half a day, and Lawrence Central High School, half a day. And that was the time when uh, Lawrence Township, this is the 90s, was in an enormous uh, population boom. And you know, a lot of houses were being built up in that area, uh, particularly Geist, Oakland, and Castleton. Was, those areas were seeing a big boom, and of course they all uh, fed into Lawrence Township schools. 
So anyway, I hit that at a good time, and I started there in 1990, and I just retired in 2022 this past May. So you do the math, it's uh, 32 years. So I've taught a sum total of 40 years. My wife uh, is a, actually a much more interesting <laughs> individual than I am. We both met at IU back in the 80s. We both lived in La Casa Española, which was a Spanish-only uh, dormitory that was located in uh, what was called GRC, Graduate, Renner, Graduate Residence Center at the time, then it became Ashton. Now it is no more. There's a set of new dormitories there now. But anyway, back in the day, at GRC in Ashton had Spanish house, French house, German house, Russian house. It was quite an international uh, grouping of individuals, and we all ate at our individual language tables, and the expectation was while you were eating at the Spanish table and while you were inside the Spanish house, you know, only Spanish was to be spoken. That was, that was the language of discourse. So anyway, that's where I met Luisa and we married 1988. Luisa, I'm very proud to say, she outdoes me as a teacher. As a matter of fact, she's very creative, she's very energetic. And she was the Indiana Teacher of the Year in the year 2006, and she received all kinds of perquisites that uh, sprung from that particular honor, and she has many honors. But anyway, that's, that's my wife, and we're a Spanish uh, teaching couple, and we're both retired now. But anyway, <laughs> enjoying life. Yes. Okay, that was well said, beautifully said. Now, uh, Tony and I go back... Uh, long time as well and uh, Tony and I uh, met years ago and um, uh, I recall especially I really had a strong relationship with Tony and Luisa who helped me immensely during the Pan Am games uh, when they were in Indianapolis in 1987 and uh, I was fortunate or maybe not so fortunate depending on how you looked at things but I was asked to be the culture attache of the Cuba delegation, and Tony and Luisa uh, agreed to help me, and they were my assistants, my two top assistants uh, during the Pan Am Games, and it was a great experience for everybody, and uh, we had a great time, even though uh, there were some good days and tough days, but we oh. had a, ultimately it was a great learning experience for us, mm -hmm. and uh, we enjoyed that very much. Uh, and over the years, Tony has been uh, um, a longtime friend of mine. He was he was in um, Mexico in San Luis Potosí and Luisa on one of uh, of our my teacher programs years ago, and uh, he just a great great teacher, great educator, and uh, very knowledgeable about Spanish, all things Spanish, and uh, uh, he even uh, uh, several times. Uh, was my co-author for three books. Uh, one of them was called Chisme Mexicano. The other one was called 87 Modismos de Mexico. And then uh, 87 Modismos. And then the third one was uh, Juegos de Errores Nivel Dos and Trace. And, uh, but Tony's been, uh, he's been uh, outstanding and I really am elated and excited to have him on the show. And, uh, I think he serves as a great model for everybody on uh, teaching and perseverance and creativity and uh, surviving. And uh, 
in uh, all these years, 40 years, Tony. Felicitaciones. That's a, es algo impresionante. And that's really impressive. And uh, the other thing I haven't told you about Tony is that he um, did this, which I thought was amazing. Uh, he has an MAT in Spanish from Indiana University. And he has his bachelor's degree as well from Indiana University in Bloomington and an MAT. So he wanted to get a master's degree in Spanish literature. And lo and behold, he decides to go for his master's in Spanish literature and takes quite a few summers to do that because he was working full-time teaching. And he took time to go get another master's degree in Spanish literature. And it was basically for his love of Spanish literature. And, uh, and Tony loves uh, novels and plays and po Spanish poetry and Latin American poetry, all things literature. And uh, it was just impressive what he did. And I, I think I wanted to tell the listeners about that. Now, uh -huh. how, how did you do that? How long did that take? It took you a while. Well, it took me, I guess, I began the MA in Spanish Lit in 2004, and I didn't finish until 2010, because, you know, the program was three weeks, three and a half weeks every summer. You could either do three and a half weeks per summer, or you could do, uh, what, seven weeks. And I chose to do the shorter, because I wanted to have some time to rest and relax, and travel and do some less academic things during my summer vacation. So this was through the University of Northern Iowa, and it was an ingenious program because, you know, it's very difficult for a working teacher to actually get a standard MA in Spanish literature and culture while they're working. It's just it's nearly impossible. And the University of Northern Iowa, located in Cedar uh, Cedar Falls, Iowa, not to be confused with Cedar Rapids, they're about an hour apart. But anyway, um, I discovered that a, a working teacher could get, you know, a serious standard master's degree in Spanish literature and culture in three summers or four summers or ten summers, whatever. There was no particular hurry to complete it. And so I just kind of took the the uh, the, the, sh the longer route because I was in no hurry. And it was actually worked out to my advantage because I had a lot of time during the school year, those seven years, to write and reflect on what I learned uh, in that three-and-a-half-week, four-week four period during each of the summers. And it worked out quite well. So I finally took my uh, road of thesis and did my oral exam and written exam in the summer of 2010 in Querétaro, Mexico. And um, so there you have it. And I was able to get my master's in Spanish, which I don't know if teachers are getting master's degrees in anything, let alone in Spanish anymore these days, which is, which is a shame. But the UNI, the University of Northern Iowa, definitely accommodated working teachers uh, to do that. So anyway, I enjoyed it. And it's, it's, been, it's definitely repaid my efforts over and over again. What was the What was the name of that professor there, that uh, used to had been at Indiana University, George? Yes, he just passed away. Zucker. Zucker, George Zucker. Yeah, he was quite a professor, wasn't he? Outstanding yes, he was. teacher. He was outstanding. Mm -hmm. um, I remember him from Indiana University. He was outstanding. Just a great, great teacher. Um, mm -hmm. So. Um, this uh, idea of retirement. <laughs> 
uh, I've noticed that you, uh, you're also back working again a little bit for the fun of the game, right? Can you tell everybody what you're doing and, um, you know, how much you're enjoying it? Because uh, you've, it's almost like you're going into a little mini new career here for what you're doing, right? So tell, tell everybody what you're doing. Well, I knew when I stopped teaching, I, I mean, I enjoyed teaching, but I also knew that I wasn't getting any younger. <laughs> and anyway, as much as I enjoyed it, I knew after 40 years of teaching, working, you know, 12, 13, 14 hour days, I thought probably after 40 years, perhaps at the secondary level, maybe it's a younger person's domain, you know, to, to be a, a full-time teacher. So I thought... What am I going to do? Am I going to do volunteer work? There's definitely plenty of volunteer opportunities for teachers or for anybody in the city of Indianapolis. And so I started getting online. And because I also have a degree in French, which I really never did much with, I happened to get on the, uh, the school or the Department of Education website and noticed that a little school called Cecina, which I believe Mr. Alsop also <laughs> taught at once upon a time, I was looking for a half-time French teacher, and I thought, wow, this just sounds perfect to go and teach, you know, from, say, 8 to 11, Monday through Friday, and have the afternoon to do whatever I would like to do. It sounded perfect, and I definitely, I went to interview at Cecina High School, and the principal and I, a gentleman by the name of Mr. David DeLaca, he and I hit it off immediately, and, you know, I asked Mr. DeLaca, you know, uh, when you think, this is on July the 9th, and I said, sir, when do you think you're going to make a decision about uh, hiring for this position? He said, as a matter, you know, if you really want to, no, I'm in a position to hire you now if you want to come on board. He said, I don't jump to any decision right now, but take a couple of days to think about it, and then call me in a couple of days or email me and let me know. Well, I got to thinking about it, and Louise and I talked about it. She said, you know, maybe it's time for you to, to shift gears a little bit and maybe work with adults or young adults. So I thought, okay. But nothing came of it. All of a sudden, out of the blue, the last week, no, wait a minute, no, but mid-August, I mean, it was before classes started, I got a call from a lovely lady named uh, Judy Carlston, and she is the director of... Uh, 100 and 200 level Spanish at IUPUI now, a PhD by the way, and she's, she called my wife and she said, are you interested in teaching a couple of classes? And Louisa said, no, but my husband might be interested, let him give you a call. Well, I thought about it, thought about it, and I gave Judy a call, and I really enjoyed talking to her immediately. I could tell that she and I were going to be on the same page in a lot of things. So anyway, she said, well, if you want the job, you know, we got one class for you. I said, yeah, one class, that sounds good. Then she called back and said, would you consider doing two classes? I said, yeah, okay, I'll do two classes. So, yeah, I'm doing two classes, both of entry-level Spanish, Spanish 131 at IUPUI, and most of the kids, uh, they're kids. They're, you know, they're 18, 19-year-olds with a couple of middle-aged, early middle-aged students. So anyway, I've been doing that for about a month and a half, and I actually enjoy it. So I kind of just, you know, work about 10 hours a week and still stay current in the profession. And, you know, I've enjoyed it. So there we are. It's almost midterm, Tomas. <laughs> it is about midterm. 
Uh, the semester is flying by. Um, so, well, I'm glad you did that. I think that's a great thing for the profession that you still are contributing and, and you have such a depth of knowledge in Spanish, Spanish literature, that it's such a great thing that you're contributing and doing what you're doing. So we thank you very much for that, Antonio. Um, now, what about uh, some of your favorite memories about classroom teaching? Do you have a couple things you want to share that were your favorite things, maybe teaching or things that stand out? Mm -hmm. You know, I when I look back at my 40 years of teaching, probably my most fun year was my first year because it was all new. You know, I was young and fresh out of college, so I always think that first year can be difficult, but it can be immensely rewarding because a first-year teacher makes a lot of discoveries about the language, about students, about himself. So it's definitely a year of discovery. It, it takes about five years to get, you know, to be a substantial, competent teacher. And then beyond that, you know, you can certainly improve as the years go by. But um, anyway, uh, seeing a classroom of 25 students, and there are always those couple that, you know, a couple of students that really seem to take the ball and run with it. And that makes it all worth it. You're not going to get lots of students that are just in love with Spanish or school in general. But there are always a couple that you can just see the light bulb turn on, you know, and they really, you know, some of them have become Spanish teachers. Some have uh, kept up with me over the years. Um, I don't know how many of my former students have become Spanish teachers, but I know it's probably, you know, at least a dozen that I know of. And that's always a nice tribute. Like, for example, I know that your son and daughter-in-law are both Spanish professors, and that's quite a tribute to you, Tomas Alsop. I mean, having your son follow in your footsteps and, you know, become a professor of Spanish, that's definitely a tribute to you and Mrs. Alsop. So anyway, it's just things like that. You know, we don't always see... Uh, you know, the, the end results of our endeavors and our labors. But, you know, you know they're out there. And in some cases, and particularly in your case, you have, you know, we, we both have, you have a son who's a teacher, a professor, Franklin College. And, you know, we, we both had students who have become teachers. So that's really what's made it uh, all worthwhile. Yes, and, and that's, that's, so, that's so much uh, uh, for the listeners, the young teachers, that's something you never know who you're influencing and what they're going to end up doing, you know, when you're teaching. It's uh, something we have to think about because it's one of the great things about teaching that all of us, all of you guys listening out there, teachers, you're all going to impact the lives of lots of your students. And that's what makes teaching worthwhile. And uh, that's what it's all about. And I think that's why we all do this and have done it most of our lives. And, uh, and we're kind of blessed with that. I always feel like we're all blessed to a point because uh, we're able to do that. And uh, not everybody can be a teacher. And uh, so whatever makes us different, we're, we should be thankful sometimes because it is a great, great profession. Um, now, what about um, culture? I want to talk a little bit about languages now. What about teaching culture? We always hear about teaching culture is important um, do you think that culture should be taught s separate or with language? Uh, 
Is it, is it all one little package? Uh, or are there times when you have to separate it out? Well, I, I think you can look at it in both ways. But one thing is for certain, you know, the language doesn't exist in a vacuum. You know, a person can be perfectly bilingual, but not necessarily bicultural. So you have to assume, I guess, not just being bilingual, but also bicultural. And to be bicultural and bilingual, you have to get to know the culture very well. So really, the language in and of itself is a beautiful thing. It's like a machine. But to, to give it life, you know, you have to add culture to it. And that, you know, adding culture to the language probably will inspire interest in more and more students because you're exposing them to things that, you know, other teachers really cannot. The foreign language teacher, the world language teacher, as we say these days, is able to open doors and windows to aspects of the great, you know, humanity that other teachers cannot. So anyway, I think probably it's best to look at language and culture as sort of an intertwined package. That's my opinion. But anyway, no, I think it's totally correct. And uh, um, one of the things that uh, bothers me at times with the textbooks is that um, we have a lot of grammar, we have a lot of vocabulary, we have a lot of culture, but sometimes I, I think we miss the fact that we're dealing with, uh, in, these, in these countries where the language is spoken, you know, Mexico, España, Sudamerica, or France, etc., and, uh, and Canada, and uh, Africa, you know, we're dealing with places in Germany and in Germany, etc. We are dealing with places in China and Chinese and Japanese. We are dealing with people too, though, right? And mm -hmm. that's something we have to be careful with. I think teaching, we have to remember that these people we're going to be hopefully meeting someday in the countries and visit the countries or meet them at our schools as exchange students, etc. Or going, they are human beings, just like we are, right? Mm -hmm. And they, their days are really similar a lot to ours, too. There's a lot of differences, but there are a lot of similarities, right? Mm -hmm. And those, sure. those people get up at the same time of day every day, and they're very similar to what we do, and they have their meals every day, and they go to school, and they work, and they have parents, they have family get-togethers. So we're all in this big thing called the human beings, right? The human race. Mm -hmm. And... Mm -hmm. uh, I think we lose that sometimes with language study and culture that we have to be careful that, you know, there are differences, but we got to also remember there's a lot of similarities. And the big similarity is we all are human beings and uh, with many of the same necessities, right? So mm -hmm. uh, that makes it even more fun when we visit and get to meet those people in other countries. And especially if we learn the language and c can communicate with those people. Um, does that make sense, Antonio? To it makes perfect sense, and I also want to pay you a compliment in this regard because not only have you published 350 materials, texts, work texts for students and teachers to use in the classroom, not only do you employ, deploy grammar and vocabulary, but you always employ culture. If you ever have a chance, and I'm sure you all have a chance, teachers, to purchase uh, supplementary materials, Go Google Tom Alsa, and you'll find that he has produced 350 over the last, I don't know, 40, 50 years. He has produced at a very modest cost, by the way, 
uh, work texts that teach vocab, grammar, but always integrates the culture into the uh, grammar and vocabulary. And I think I told Tomas one time that he has many, many publications. And an undergraduate student who got his hands on 350 of Tomas's publications would have a very fine teacher education undergraduate degree. And I mean that. You know. And I, I have, I have in my library, I don't have all 350 of your publications, but I have a lot of them. And I pick one up every day and I learn something new, you know, particularly about the culture. And the culture is essential, as you said. Well, that's, that's all. Well, you're very kind. Thank you very much. 37, 37 years of writing. 37. 37 years? 37. Yeah. 30, 10, 39. I'm sorry. 39. 39 now. Yeah. What is Almost 40. 39 years. So, yeah. And you have about 350 publications? Is that? that that's correct. Yeah. That doesn't count my videos and things. So, I mean, and poster sets, etc. Yeah. Right. Well, thank you very much. Uh, that well, I'm very lucky to have been able to do that, and I'm very happy that I was able to. Um, so we're back to the this creativity thing, uh, and I like to talk about creativity. I always, you know, when I do some some of my workshops, I'd like to talk about and presentations. I talk a lot about creativity, and I've been talking about creativity probably for 25 years, and. Mm -hmm. uh, it always amazes me at, at some of the creativity people have. And, uh, you know, that's one thing I always kind of tell teachers, and Tony probably would agree with this. Um, you can't really put teachers all in the same hat, right? In other mm -hmm. words, everybody is different, right? And teachers are all different. And it took me a few years to realize that, and, but I did. And I, I realized that fairly early on, that there was great creativity with each teacher. But, uh, and therefore, and just because we like something, we can't just say, well, you know, you should like this or do it my way, et cetera, et cetera. Rather, we need to open up the creativity channel, right? And mm -hmm. really encourage people to be creative in their own right. Because, uh, and over the years, I saw teachers that, uh, and sometimes I think, well, this is not going to work. And you know, it worked. And it would work because they had that certain creativity that makes us all different. And thank God we're all different, right? Creatively, mm -hmm. that we're not the same. And uh, so we're able to all be different. We're all able to be creative. And education is not boring in a, an environment of creativity, right? All right. Now, that doesn't mean that we you couldn't get situated in a, an environment where there isn't a lot of creativity. That could take place as well. But I think in most places today... There's a huge amount of creativity going on, and we have to, you know, take our hats off to the schools that do that and the teachers and applaud those folks and be positive with our education. Uh, you know, there's a lot of critics out there that criticize it, but uh, it's, it's so much better, I think, to be positive and say, we can do this, we will do this, and we can be able to do better, but we will be creative no matter what, you know, that we're creative. And uh, hats off to the creative teachers out there. Tony, do you think that's perhaps correct? I would agree. And I think that the beginning teachers probably ought to always imagine themselves as creators. Yes. 
and be as creative as possible. Think outside the box. And, you know, I have to say, Tomas Alsop helps me immensely. I'm going to give him another little tribute here. You know, I have several of his publications. I personally am not a very creative individual. However, there are materials available to take even non-creative people or less creative people like myself and boost me up to a level of creativity that would have been, you know, unthinkable without support. And Tomas Alsop is right there. What I, I mean, I think I mentioned this one time before, but, you know, I own several of Tomas's you know, work texts. And it doesn't matter what your grammar point is or what your vocabulary is. You can randomly pick one of Tomas's works and adapt it. And it just brings up your class to a level of creativity that you would not necessarily have had before. And he integrates vocabulary, grammar, and culture. And that's creativity. Well, and, and Tony does the same thing. Tony, Tony does as well. But to, <laughs> Tony is very humble. Tony does a lot of great things teaching and uh, has over the years and has put out some great students. Um, so this creativity, though, I, I think we've, we've got to remember to try, as Tony, Tony's talked a while ago about uh, this idea of um, thinking about, uh, even and we, Tony and I have talked about this over the years, uh, getting teachers excited about what they're doing, right, and, and creative and bringing up the creativity. Tony does that with people and, and teachers, and he's done it throughout his career. But, you know, when you talk to each other and, and you're in your departments and things, you know, where you can try to bring everybody together. Now, uh, you know, we got to be careful. We want to keep people together, and that's a neat thing to remember. Uh, and you got to be very positive about things. And, again, you recognize everybody for, you know, their, their value as a teacher, their, as their individuality and creativity. Now... Antonio, so what do you think the good is of teaching today and what could be improved in teaching? Well, I think that one of the good things about teaching is today that there is more collegiality among uh, teachers of all subjects. Uh, back in the day when I first started teaching, you know, you went into your classroom, you closed your door, and you were on your own. Now I do think that there is an effort to have you know, at least weekly meetings, even if it's just for an hour, you know, to come on, I don't know, Thursday morning or a Thursday afternoon and get together and share ideas with each other. And that's something that's relatively new in our profession. And I think it's something that on balance has been very helpful in bringing up our profession and making it more creative and making it, you know, our teaching stronger than what it was at one time. So anyway, I think we call them nowadays PLCs, uh, what do they call them, professional learning uh, committees. Mm -hmm. And we get together daily and talk to each other. Well, it could be daily because now we have electronic uh, Zoom, we have email, all kinds of electronic ways of approaching each other. But, you know, getting around the table at least once a week and talking about what, what's working, what's not working, you know, uh, it's been, a, I think, positive. So as, as Tomas was saying, you know, you got to work together because we're all in the same profession and we all have, you know, a common goal. Um, and the other thing that I think you're uh, alluding to is the idea that it is important to be creative and to think outside the box and, you know, to take risks. Risk-taking is not always easy. You know, it can be scary. But it's kind of like, uh, you know, when you play golf. Uh, you know, you learn a new 
golf swing. And at first, it's not very comfortable for you, but you realize that with enough practice with this new golf swing, eventually your game is going to get better. You know, and I think that's the way it is thinking outside the box and thinking more creatively in our profession. Think outside the box. It might not be comfortable at first. You might have to get out of your so-called comfort zone. But in the end, it'll make you a stronger teacher for it. Well said. Beautiful. Uh, Now, let's talk about uh, what makes a really good world language teacher today. What, What do they need to do? for the young people coming in the profession, what do they need to do? <coughs> keep up the language skills, always. You know, keep up your language skills. If you can, go out of the country uh, on occasion. I know it's expensive, and I know, you know, uh, these days, uh, international travel is not necessarily easy. I think it's getting better post-pandemic than it was. But if you can go travel, by all means, do so. Um, if you can. And keep current. Uh, get online and see, see what other teachers are doing. You know, I guess there's this site called Teacher Paid Teachers. They have all kinds of things that just didn't exist back when I started in 1982. It was, you know, and actually Tomas was the first person to break ground in this area of, you know, supplementing standard textbooks with something more exciting, you know. Um, so anyway, keep current, keep up your language, get online and see what's available for purchase. You don't have to spend a lot. But, you know, you get out there and spend a little bit of money if you can. And if you can can travel and explore the culture on your own firsthand, by all means do so. I think those are some pretty good tips for a beginning teacher. And be enthusiastic. You know, you just can't go in there and blah, blah, blah. Uh, you got to get in there and act like you like being there, you know. And have have fun, right? Oh, sure. Have fun. Absolutely. You know, why not? (laughs) Yeah, have fun. And that's a huge... Thing to remember positivity and have fun right mm-hmm. and uh, the positivity factor right and be creative as tony mentioned a while ago risk take get in there and risk take and have fun and uh, some things you do won't work right and then some will right but you can't do it without you know making mistakes so you're going to make a mistake but then you just rise up and you'll and the kids are going to learn from it and you will and you're mm-hmm. all going to be more creative for it right so that's that's the fun part now um, let's talk about technology, right? Mm-hmm. Um, where are we headed with technology? Now, I'm trying to figure out how we can attack this and deal with this. Uh, you, you tell the listeners your view of where technology is and what you think we should still be doing with on a traditional type way or if you more in interactive way with live stuff, okay? Sure. Well, the first thing is we don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater, so to speak. It's really important for kids to get together and communicate face-to-face. Now, if that means in-person, great. If in-person instruction is impossible, now we have something called Zoom where kids can get face-to-face. But the idea is, you know, the technology can be a great boost. It can also be a... You know, it could be a burden, too. If all kids are doing is beep, 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 you know, it, you know, it, 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 all kids are doing is getting online and, and you know, typing in words here and there. Well, that's really nothing more than, you know, an electronic worksheet. But, you know, uh, the technology can take us places that we couldn't go before. 
You know, so I think technology definitely has its advantages, and it can take us places, as I said, where we couldn't go before. But we don't want to lose the human aspect, you know. Um, we, you just don't want to sit in front of a screen all by yourself, you know, and playing little fill-in-the-blank games and whatever. There's nothing wrong with that for skill building, but you got to break out of the skill building, and you know, with that computer in front of you and get out and use it, either in technology or in person, face-to-face. -face. That's the way I am. Mm -hmm. That's well said, beautifully said. Uh, the human touch, right? We need to keep the human touch. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, that's that's tricky. It's not easy to do, and we have to think about that. Uh, you know, we're all technology buffs today. I mean, we all, the, a lot of people have become experts in technology over the last four or five years, and the, and the social media and all the things going on with the kids, students. Uh, I know they're on social media a tremendous amount of time during the day, the students. And what else? They're, they've got social media. They've got, uh, uh, you know, their, their apps that they play games on, and they've got videos, and they watch it. They watch on TikTok, et cetera, et cetera. Mm -hmm. So I asked the students the other day in one of my classes, and I said, how many hours are you guys on the computer or your laptops or on your phone, you know, in a day? Mm -hmm. And uh, we got up to six hours, six oh hours <laughs> of total time. Six hours, a lot of them, six hours they're spending on that stuff. Now, huh. think about that, all of us. And I started thinking how long I'm, how many, how many minutes of time have I spent on it? And it's mm -hmm. a huge amount, you know? And uh, if, you, if you're into the social media, you got uh, Twitter, you got Facebook, Instagram, and all the things there, and, and TikTok. And then you've got your texting that you're doing with your friends. And then you've got uh, uh, apps that you play games on. I mean, there's a lot of time we spend on this. I, more than you think. Mm -hmm. I mean, it really takes, it cuts into our time. And uh, I've noticed even planning class anymore and things, uh, time seems to be shorter because I'm spending more time on the, on the computer, on my iPad or on a laptop, all the this this time thing is interesting, mm -hmm. and so I we talked the other day and we were talking about could you possibly have, will it evolve in our country in the world with the technology that we're going to end up the days are going to, uh, you know we'll have to have two forty eight hours in a day you know instead mm -hmm. of twenty four, mm -hmm. I mean we we are really getting to the point, and I know the people I talk to and the students Tony probably feels the same way. But, you know, your days and you think, where did the time go in your day? But mm -hmm. it's like every second almost you can be connected, you know, to the technology game. And uh, uh, it's something to think about. Uh, and where are we going with that, you know? And uh, I know a lot of people, and I love technology as well, much as anybody does, but there comes a limit, you know, a time and you have to start thinking about it. It, where it gets in, in our life, every, lives every day, and uh, that in where we aren't having any human contact either with people, or, or less, a lot less hum, human face-to-face -face contact. So that's something we probably have to consider, I think. Tony, what about that? You Are you in agreement or no? Yeah. Well, you know, human beings these days have access to information that you know, 20 years ago, yes. it was unthinkable. Yes. 
Absolutely yes. unthinkable. Yes. So from that aspect, it's great. For example, remember if you read in the Spanish novel or even yes. in English, and there's a word you stumbled on, you had to go get a dictionary and look it up. Well, shoot. Now you can just Google it. Or in some e-text, you can just hover over the word and it tells you what it means. Yes. On one hand, technology is good. But, again, we don't want to leave out the human aspect. Yes. You, know? you can't be glued to the computer all the time. Use it, use it as, you know, your tool. Don't make yourself its yes. tool. Yes, yes. <laughs> and, again, I think, though, in education, we have to be careful, you know. I mean, we have to be careful of... Uh, uh, you know, are the kids speaking the language enough in pairs and groups, live stuff, where they're not just on the computer all the time. Because mm -hmm. when you, they do visit the country, they have to really, they're going to have to talk, you know, one-to-one -one live with a lot of people. <laughs> you know, and they won't be talking to a screen, right? And uh, yeah. so, mm -hmm. I mean... You know, uh, mm -hmm. Go ahead. Mm -hmm. But I think that's one of the things we have to consider about technology. Uh, I mean, it's okay, but it doesn't really go where it, it's not human, right? And right. I think we want to keep the human touch as much as we can in education. And uh, that's spot on. Yeah, and yeah, okay, that's good. But I, you know, it's something to think about for the teachers, though, and all of us. How much time we spend on this, the technology, and it kind of all of a sudden you're going, whoa! I guess I am on that a lot during the day, and I'm doing this and that, and. Uh, uh, and I don't, I don't know what the solution is. There may not be one. We just kind of are evolving, I guess, with the technology. But uh, uh, it's, it's something to think about, I guess. That's that's my feel for what goes on sometimes with it. And uh, but as Tony said, it's it's technology is wonderful. We have virtual libraries now. We don't have to go to the libraries much. We don't have to. Do, I mean, there's so many wonderful things. But again, you know, where is it? Where do we stop with it? Now, Antonio, so you're, uh, you've been teaching a long time. So mm -hmm. what, what are some of the qualities that make somebody a really good world language teacher? I mean, if you were telling somebody what, you know, what some young teacher listening, you know, what do they have to do to be a really, really good world language teacher? What would you say to them? Well, don't be afraid to give it your 100%. Give it your all. Be enthusiastic. Be energetic. Keep yourself in good health. Get well-rested. Take your vitamins. Eat right. You know, particularly in foreign language teaching. I keep saying foreign language, but now it's world language. Particularly in teaching a language. It is the discipline in the academic setting that takes the most energy among all the subjects in the, in the curriculum. So if you're not well-rested and not energetic and in good shape, being a language teacher is going to be very difficult for you, you know? Yes. And so make sure you keep yourself both uh, in mental and physical good shape. Be enthusiastic. Keep up with uh, the technology if you can to a point. Uh, try to find uh, creative ways of getting things done. Don't be afraid to take risks. Don't be afraid to think outside the box. And there's a lot of support there for you now that wasn't there back when we started the last. So I think yeah. keep those things in mind and you'll do well. And you know what? The kids, these kids are kids. They're going to try you. Some of them are going to like you. Some of them are not going to like you. And some are going to be neutral. But you got to, as they used to say, accentuate the positive. You know, look at the positive. <laughs> eliminate the negative if you can and go from there. Yes, beautiful. Now... So, 
Tell the listeners before we close that you and Louisa, your wife, used to have your your own radio show in Espanol, and it was in Spanish. Can you tell them about that? That was quite okay. a show. Yeah, it was interesting. Um, that was another unexpected turn of events in our lives. We both worked uh, for the Hispanic Center in Indianapolis when it was down on North Street. And they could see that Luis and I were definitely enthusiastic about speaking Spanish and learning the culture and serving the community. And one day the director, uh, Elba Gonzalez, by the way, some of you may know Elba, uh, approached us and said, would you consider perhaps doing a one-hour radio broadcast uh, on Sunday evening? And at first I said, oh, come on, no way. I mean, <laughs> what are we going to do on the radio? But as it turned out, uh, we decided to take the job, and we would go down to uh, North Meridian Street, WFYI. It was a 90.1, which was the local NPR affiliate. And we would do a, uh, an hour-long broadcast uh, that we would feature, you know, maybe Spanish poems, Spanish news. Spanish music was a big hit. We would occasionally bring in uh, somebody from the community. You know, back in those days, this was between 1985 and 1988. You know, we had Spanish speakers, native Spanish speakers in Indianapolis, but not nearly to the extent that we do now. So anyway, and we had uh, then what we have now by way of uh, human resources in the community, our show would have been, you know, really extraordinary. But we enjoyed doing it, but then we got married in 88, moved to Bloomington to go to graduate school. The show just kind of, you know, you know, when it's gone away and we never pursued it. But it was a good little show. It so was a good show. Doing. I used to listen yeah. to it. You guys were awesome. You were great. Impacto Latino. <laughs> Impacto Latino. I remember it very well. Uh, by the way, it's about seven years ago, Pat O'Connor, who, who used to teach at Southport High School, mm-hmm. she went down on our Cuba program that we have in the summer. That we It was our first one. Uh, we went to Cuba after Obama opened Cuba up, President mm-hmm. Obama. And so we, uh, Elba Gonzalez, I had known her a little bit, not a lot. Pat knew her a lot. And uh, so Pat wanted to see her. And so Pat says, we'll have the time. We had an extra day in Miami before we went to Havana. And Pat said, let's go to her apartment. She knew where she was living. So we took a taxi, went to her apartment. We took her out to lunch. Uh, she was living by herself. Her husband died, and uh, uh, just a wonderful lady. And we went to lunch with her. She's very grateful. And uh, unfortunately, she passed away a couple years ago. But uh, uh, we got to see her, and uh, just the same person, you know, dynam- dynamic, and just a beautiful, beautiful lady. And uh, so, um, but we I, I don't think I probably told you that, but that's why I wanted to bring it up. No, I didn't realize yes, that. Yes, I got to, I got Elba to see was her. The first, when I finished college and was studying in IPS, Elba Gonzalez was the first person yes. that took an interest in my becoming a teacher. And yes. yeah, we went way back. Yeah, she's a great lady. Um, I didn't realize she passed away. Pues hombre, que dices, ya llegamos al final del programa. Eh, gracias por haber estado con nosotros y vamos a vernos pronto en otro lugar en otro día y te deseo muchísimo éxito eh, en tu nueva car- carrera verdad allá en la universidad y tú lo mereces ya y 
también saluda a tu esposa de mi parte, ¿ok? Claro, sí, señor. ¿Y qué vas a hacer esta noche? ¿Vas a planear para la clase bueno, mañana? Todo está pendiente. Sí, tengo que planear las lecciones para mañana. Y que, que realmente es un placer. Me gusta mucho la creatividad que se involucra con las lecciones. ¿sí? Excelente. Pues, what a great teacher, ¿eh? Uh, all of you listening, we are very, very lucky to have had, had Tony around teaching Spanish for many, many years and he did such a wonderful job. Just a great teacher, great person if you don't know him. And uh, just a pleasure to have been uh, his friend and, uh, and oh. he helped me in many ways over the years. So, uh, Tony, I want to thank you for all your help in the profession as well and all the great things you did for the profession and your wife, Luisa. But you also contributed immensely in the classroom and beyond with your things that you did to help the profession and the teaching of Spanish. Now, uh, to Antonio, stay there and we'll chat after I uh, leave the broadcast. Stay there and we'll chat some more a little bit. And then uh, for the listeners, we'll see you in October and uh, we'll have a sp special surprise guest. In November, we'll be at the Indiana Conference live and I'm going to try to do the show live from the Indiana Conference, okay? Now... Thank you all for being here, and all of you have a great, terrific rest of the day, and I hope it's as beautiful there as it is here. And it's uh, getting cold in Indianapolis. The low Friday night is supposed to be 34 degrees, so uh, it's awful cold this early in the fall. So at any rate, I uh, hope it's warmer where you guys are. Okay, everybody have a great, great weekend and a great uh, week coming up here. We're almost halfway through our week. And we will catch you the next broadcast. Gracias. And we'll see you soon. Okay?